The others who participated in our cafe night last night, we had a great time. They did a great job, and it was a bit of an open mic night, and uh, got to hear some some great talent, too, from some of our teenagers participated as well. And it's something that we had so much fun with last night, we're going to be doing it again. So if you missed it last night, don't miss it the next time. It, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. So today wraps up our, actually, I guess you could say yesterday, uh, because the end of September was yesterday. But we were working on this dollar a day campaign. And uh, hopefully you've taken that challenge there to set aside a dollar a day. And maybe if you didn't literally go through the uh, paces of doing that, you'd still be willing to say, you know what, I could give 30 extra dollars from the month of September. And uh, this is uh, just, you know, what we're trying to work on to try to get us mindful of the idea that just a little bit extra would actually go a long way. There is a box out there in the lobby. If you actually brought that in in cash or check, you can put that in the box out there in the lobby. You can also do that online in our giving app there online, uh, or giving, uh, it's not the app, but the uh, website there. And uh, just, you can check the general giving, but it just ask if it's a one-time gift. If you put a one-time gift for $30, we're going to be able to figure that out. You can give more than that if you'd want. And, uh, but just uh, wanted to remind you of that, and hopefully uh, you can still participate in that, even if you've forgotten about it or forgot to bring that this morning. But that ended up September. We start October, and we have a new challenge for you here, and this one's done a little bit different. But we're going to be, our next series starts uh, two weeks from today. Our next series is going to be called Taste and See, uh, the, the Good Life, What God Calls the Good Life. But um, we're going to be using loosely this book that's written by Margaret Feinberg. It's called Taste and See. Imagine that. And uh, Margaret Feinberg is the, uh, the author. If you've read anything of hers, um, she's one of my favorite authors. She just has a way of going in and taking Scripture and, like, comparing it to real life and kind of blending the two. And it's just fascinating. So I'd like to encourage everybody, you can get this online. Taste and see, Margaret Feinberg. It's listed there in the back of your bulletin. But our challenge this month is to get this book and to read through it. And so each there's six different chapters, that uh, six main chapters that she talks about here. Taste and see God's power, taste and see God's satisfaction, and so on. And those are going to roughly be the themes that we'll be looking at as we go through the second part of October and on into November. But there's the challenge. Get the book, read the book. Now, some of you have volunteered to help with a special baking and cooking project. I have a book for you at the information table afterwards. Pick up your book on the way out. That's my gift to you for helping out with that project that we're going to be doing there. One of the things that's interesting about this book, too, is that there are several recipes that are found throughout this book, which means absolutely nothing to me, but I'll be passing this on to my wife, and hopefully we'll be trying a few things as we go. But uh, October campaign here, and uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Taste and See by Margaret Feinberg. All right, switching gears here. Let me start with a question today. What do you think is the greatest need in our world? What is the greatest need in our world? Maybe as you're sitting there thinking about this, well, the world needs peace. And and if we could just have a little bit more peace in our world, think how much better it would be. We could be done with these wars. We could be done with all the violence that we see everywhere. We could see, be done with, like, the gangs in, in the inner city. We could be done with, uh, with all of these revolutions and, and these coups that we see by, by militaries uh, around the world. We could even be done with some of the persecution. If we could just have peace. Or maybe it's justice. You know what we need in this world is we need justice. There's a lot of people who are oppressed. There's a lot of people who are trampled on. There's a lot of people who are marginalized, who are ignored or abused and misused. 
we need justice in our world. And maybe that's what you think is, you know, justice is the most important thing. Or maybe it's, it's racial reconciliation, and maybe that fits with, with justice. But we see that uh, as an issue in today's world. Or maybe it's just health care and the opportunity to get good health care. And there's so many people in the world who don't have access to that. And we look at that and say, oh, if people could just have access to, to real legitimate health care, it would be uh, helpful to them. Or maybe it's something like opportunity, if people had more opportunity. And we live in a country and we live in a place where opportunity is pretty much there for our taking. But there's a lot of people who don't live with opportunity, who are facing anywhere from slavery to, to um, being oppressed. And if they just had some opportunity, that would be the greatest need in our world. Some people would say, well, you know, it's, it's things like shelter. Everybody deserves shelter. Or maybe some people would say, you know, one of the greatest needs in our world is to get some of this climate stuff under control because we keep seeing all these natural disasters. And we have this whole list of things that... Ugh, Maybe that's the greatest need. And then we have this one, love, right? Love's the greatest need. And, and I could break into song right now. What the world needs now is love. Yeah, anyhow, we won't do that, okay? And uh, maybe uh, after I sing this song, the greatest need is going to be relief. But I don't know. But we have all these different things that we could say people need. But what is the greatest need in the world? Could it be something as simple as this? Food? And water, and I realize, yes, Jesus is the, the answer. That's the greatest need that people have in the world. But if we could go into our world and say, even something as simple as, you know, day-to-day -day sustenance of food and water. Listen to these statistics. This is from World Vision, but they say this, that 770 million people lack access to safe drinking water. That's one in every 10 people on the face of this planet. Over 300,000 children under the age of five will die this year from drinking contaminated water. Women and girls spend 200 million hours per day hauling water in Africa. They walk an average of 3.7 miles carrying 40 pounds of water at a time. Pretty big need in our world. You can take the food side of that. In 2022, last year, nearly 258 million people across 58 countries faced crisis or higher levels of food insecurity. 30 million children are suffering from wasted, what we call uh, acute malnutrition. These, these children experience developmental delays and many long-term health risks. More than 1 million children die every year from severe malnutrition. In 2022, 22% of children under 5 suffered from stunting, which is low height for age and is a result of chronic undernutrition. Natural disasters, climate issues, political unrest and displacement. Over 100 million people two years ago suffered food insecurity because of those things. It's crazy, isn't it? What's interesting and I think is also encouraging is that experts tell us that this is a food scarcity and hunger and security is a solvable problem, that we actually have the resources and we actually have the means to make sure that everybody on this planet is fed. And they say that within 10 years, potentially, 10 to 12 years, it, that hunger could be dealt with. Now, I'm not expecting that to happen. Part of it is we don't have the infrastructure to make that happen. We don't have the systems to make that happen. But wouldn't that be great? And I appreciate every organization that works to make a difference. 
organizations like World Vision or even more locally like Forgotten Harvest or Gleaners or, or Feed My Children, which is, which is a big Christian organization here in the United States. But did you realize that food insecurity is not just a physical problem? It's actually a spiritual problem too. And it's something that Jesus actually talked about. We've had this series that we've been doing here that we called Everyone Eats. And we have meant that more metaphorically than we have physically or literally. And the idea is this, that God invites us all to his banquet table. And we haven't been talking necessarily about, you know, a banquet table where we sit there and eat, you know, a, a, a nice prime rib or, or, or have some, some uh, you know, nice uh, cheesy potatoes or something like that. But it's a banquet table where we experience new life and where we experience a relationship with him and where we can experience uh, the promise of eternity. And we have been talking about this idea that everybody should have the opportunity to experience God's grace because there's a lot of people in our world who are missing out. And we have a hunger problem in our world physically, but we also have a hunger problem in our world spiritually And we have some responsibility on on both sides here, by the way. But we have responsibility to invite people to God's table. We talked about the banquet of the broken. It starts with us. We're invited to that table. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God looked down and said, hey, there's Brent Wood. Boy, let's make sure he gets invited. You know, is, is is he the greatest? No. Is he broken? Yes. Okay, he qualifies. And so we get invited to God's table, but then there's also the challenge that we become the servants who invite others to the table. We know what it's like to eat at God's table. We need to be sharing that privilege and that blessing with other people. The second week, we talked about the party that went on at Matthew's house. And we talked about the simple idea that that Jesus sees people with names and sees people with needs. Just like he saw Matthew with a name and Matthew with a need and, and and everybody has names, everybody has needs, but we can be part of the process of bringing those people to Jesus. Matthew invited his friends, and all he did was invite them to a party, and he invited Jesus too. And even as we do things as a church, and we've talked about a couple, like we'll be doing the, uh, the um, fall festival, that's a great opportunity to just invite somebody to the party, like we did last night with, with the uh, cafe night, the great opportunity to invite somebody to the party. Even this chili cook-off that's coming on, even if somebody won't come to church with you, invite them to come at 1230, and then they meet people at church. And it's just a great opportunity, but that simple idea there from the second week. Last week, we talked about table talk, when Jesus sat and ate with the Pharisees, and some ideas that we could glean from that story about how we can engage in spiritual conversations. And probably for me, one of the big challenges that came out of that was simply like, how do I ask better questions? Even to get people thinking about what's going on in their lives spiritually. We also talked about the idea of sharing stories. But we've been continuing to talk about this metaphorically. How do we invite people to the table? Because everyone deserves to eat. Well, we shift today in a passage that seems way more physical than it does spiritual. And where this passage is about actually literally feeding people real food. And yet that's actually a spiritual activity. And so we have this mix of of physical and spiritual that all gets mashed together here in this passage that we look at. And you really can't separate one from the other. 
Because inviting people to the table spiritually, we need to be doing that physically. And we need to be doing that physically. We need to be doing that spiritually. So let's talk about that as we look at Matthew chapter 25. And I'll try to make a little bit more sense of what I just said there. But Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start reading, I believe, in verse number 31. As you go there, and I want to encourage you to, to follow along, you can use a Bible in front of you, you can use your phone or whatever device that you have. When we get to this stage in the book of Matthew, it's almost to the crucifixion. It's almost to the end of the, that story, as Matthew re, re, recounts it. And Jesus is pausing, and he's, he's talking a lot. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 23 or chapter 24, if you have a Bible that, that shows up in red when Jesus speaks, it's almost all red. And he's giving like some final words, but what he's actually talking about is what's going to happen after he dies and, and after he uh, is resurrected and even after he goes back to heaven. And he starts to talk about the kingdom that he's eventually going to be bringing in. Well, Matthew goes into more detail than anybody else because Matthew was very concerned as he wrote his gospel here that he communicate that Jesus was actually the Messiah or the king. So Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish audience, and his point was to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. Even though he didn't come as the king they were expecting, he would still come as the king later that they were expecting. And so as we read this, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about things still to come. And he's speaking about things that still haven't happened yet, even as we read it, it's still to come. So read along with me here. Verse number 31, follow along. When the Son of Man, Jesus is speaking here, and he's speaking about himself, and he refers to himself as the Son of Man. But when the Son of Man, or when I come in my glory, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand, and he will put the goats on his left hand. And so he's talking about what's going to come is a judgment at the end of the, of the time where he separates the sheep, which are those are his followers, from the goats, which kind of hang out in the same place, but they don't really follow him. And so there's going to be a separation of those two groups of people. He goes on in verse number 34, and he says, Then the king, now he's not calling himself the son of man, he's calling himself the king, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. Key word there. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, inheritance is something that we're given. It's not something that we earn. If you've received an inheritance, you didn't earn it. You were given it, and you were given it on the basis of your relationship to a person. And so what Jesus is saying is, is at the end of the time, I'm going to separate these people, sheep and goats, into the sheep. They're going to get eternal life that they've inherited, not that they've earned. And they've inherited it through Jesus Christ, through himself here in this passage. And if you don't understand that, what he says next is going to be confusing. But he says this, For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous, notice that word righteous, okay? 
Then the righteous will answer him, and they aren't righteous because of what they've done. They're righteous because of what Jesus has done. They will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when, or, or when were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let me read that again. The king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. But in case you missed it, Jesus keeps right on going, and he hits it again. He says this in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, these are the goats, depart from me. You are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. That's pretty rough. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So what is Jesus saying here? And let me just start by saying what he's not saying. What Jesus is not saying here is that you have to help the poor and the sick and the prisoner and the hungry and the thirsty in, able, in order to get to heaven. He's not saying, okay, I watched you, you fed all these people, so you get to come in. No, heaven is based on an inheritance. Heaven is based on Christ's righteousness. What he is saying is, if you're one of my sheep, if you're one of my followers, this should be what's happening in your story. This should be the way that you're living. You should be walking through life and seeing people with needs and meeting those needs. That's the expected here of my followers. So our standing in heaven is not based on merit, the fact that we fed people. It's based, it's based on evidence. And by that I mean is Jesus looks and says, okay, you claim to be a follower of mine. And yes, I'm observing this in your life. I'm not letting you into heaven because of what I'm observing. I'm letting you into heaven because of what Christ did. But if you're on my team here, this is what I should be saying in your life. So what is he saying? Okay, let's hit a couple of things I'm going to say to start with, and then if you're following along in your outline, we'll pick up there in just a minute here. First of all, Jesus is saying, hey, this is important stuff. What I'm talking about here has eternal significance. And I'm not exactly sure you know, totally what Jesus is saying here. But when you read about the judgment that comes with it, it's pretty severe. And at the same time, the reward's pretty good here. But this has eternal significance. It's important. It's also important because if you notice here, Jesus gives this list of actually six things. And he gives it not once, not twice, not three times, but four times he actually mentions this same list in what he's saying here. Now, anytime the scripture, especially as Jesus speaks and repeats himself, it's not because he forgot what he just said. It's because he's trying to make a point. And so his point is you need to take care of those who are thirsty and those who are hungry and those who are sick and those who are uh, homeless and those who aren't clothes and those who are in prison. 
And he goes back and he just keeps repeating that same list. And it's like boom, 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 boom. And he's trying to drive a point here. It's important stuff. Also, there's some sort of judgment coming. And this judgment has two aspects to it. There's the first part of it where he separates the sheep from the goats. His followers from those who may even claim to be his followers but really are imposters. That's part of it. The first part of it. There's a second part of it also where Jesus is looking to say, what did you do in your life about meeting the needs of people around you? And there's some sort of accounting that will take place. We also learn this, what Jesus is saying, is that how we respond to the needs of others around us is actually noticed by Jesus. So Jesus, even as he is in heaven today, when we care about the needs of others, he takes note of that. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, I saw that. In fact, Jesus notices it, but it's more than that. He actually takes it personally. Verse number 40, look at it again. He says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So every time you took care of somebody who had a need, you were actually taking care of me. You didn't understand that. You didn't realize it. In fact, that's why you're saying, you know, when do we do that, Jesus? We never did that. He's saying, you didn't recognize it, but every time you care for and meet the needs of somebody else around you, not just spiritually, even physically, you've done it for Jesus. Now, there's an interesting question that comes up in that verse right there. Who are these least of these, the, the brothers and sisters of mine? And there's three possibilities that, that scholars put out there. Some people say that the least of these, Jesus is actually referring to other followers of Jesus. So um, he's never called his disciples at this point like brothers and sisters. But some people say, like, well, what Jesus is saying is, how have you cared for the people in the family of Christ? That's a possibility. Other people say Jesus is actually talking about his brothers and sisters as fellow Jews. And they're predicting even a time that hasn't yet come when we get into like the tribulation period where people are helping out the Jews who are under incredible persecution. That one to me has probably the, 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 weakest, the, the weakest claim. I think the third one is probably the most obvious one. The brothers and sisters of Jesus are those who share in his humanity. He was a human. We're humans. As humans have needs, even as Jesus had needs, yes, those who take care of those needs, that's what Jesus is talking about. And he's speaking about who are the least of these. It's just the person that lives next door to you or works beside you or maybe that you see in, in, a, in a shopping place or, or out in the streets who has a need. Okay, so going on with the list here, what is he telling us? And this is on your outline here. He's telling us that he identifies with mankind in his or her needs. Jesus identifies with mankind in his or her needs. Whatever needs you're going through, if you're going through and dealing with hunger, Jesus identifies with that. If you're dealing with, with um, 
Loneliness, Jesus identifies with that. If you're dealing with homelessness, Jesus identifies with that. If you're dealing with sickness, Jesus identifies with that. And he's saying to all of us as we even sit in the room here this morning, whatever your need is, Jesus identifies with it and feels with that. And it's somewhat personal. This is my need too. Because if he says you're meeting the needs of me, then he is taking those needs on himself. You've done this for me, and I think this is an encouragement for us this morning because sometimes we find ourselves in the position of the needy. And maybe it's not that I need food or drink or whatever, but maybe I need some, some affirmation, or maybe I need some encouragement, or maybe I just need, you know, a, a, a uh, financially, or, or maybe I need, there's all these different ways it could go, but Jesus identifies with those needs. Next, he has a plan to meet those needs. It's not just Jesus, Jesus like, oh, you're hungry? That's too bad. It's like, oh, I got a plan for this. But what's the plan? It's you and it's me. It's us. To look at the world around us, to see the needs around us, and to say, I can do something about that need. What Jesus is saying in this passage is we need to take care of people. We need to make sure that their needs are met all the way down to the fact that if they're thirsty, they have something to drink. If they're hungry, they have something to eat. That's on us because that's part of God's plan to meet those needs. And that's the next point then. If we love Jesus, we'll enact the plan. What do you say? You're not just doing this for them. You're doing it for me. And if Jesus came in here this morning and sat up here on the platform and said, boy, I need, a, I, need, I need a bottle of water. We'd all be hiding out the door to get it. I'll get that for you. But Jesus is saying that's exactly how it is. When you care for the people around you, you are saying to me, I love you. I love you, Jesus. And every time we meet that need, it's an opportunity for us to express our love for God. And the point is what? That when we serve others, we are actually loving Jesus. We're loving him partly by loving what he loves and loving who he loves. And sometimes we look at people and, and we're a little bit taken aback and sometimes we're uncomfortable or we're putting in these things or sometimes it's even like I don't even you know, know where to start with this person. And Jesus said, well, here's a good starting place. I love that person. So how about if you love me too? If you look at the prayer for a catechism this morning, um, that was on that little sheet there, it goes in a different direction from what we talked about. But I love what that prayer says. It's like, you know what, we all have value because God gives us value. And one of the ways that we honor that value that God gives to people is by caring for them. We value others to value their creator. Jesus also was saying this, that we are to care for others as he wants, but also as he did. What is the life of Christ? Why did he come to earth? You ever think about the fact that Jesus could have come like on, you know, Wednesday, be crucified on Thursday or Friday, whatever you happen to believe about that, be in the grave for three days, raise again on Sunday, and be gone on Tuesday. And he could have accomplished the whole salvation plan. He didn't do that. He came for decades 
to walk among people. Why? Because he was making a point that he was there to meet needs. And so when we meet the needs of others, what we are doing is just continuing what he did. And so you, we see this. Jesus teaches to 5,000 people, and they're hungry, and the disciples are like, send them home. They're hungry. And Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 have them sit down. They're hungry. And, and we see that again with the 4,000. And we see that with, with people with the, with, with the sick. And sometimes the disciples were trying to say, you know, we're you know, pushing people away. And he's like, no, no, no. Th this is what I'm about here. And so what Jesus is instructing to his disciples, to the people who are listening, to us as his followers is what? We have responsibility here. Look at this list. See, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, but that's something that Jesus did too, right? I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in, I need clothes. And we go through this list, and what do we see? We see physical needs. We see food and shelter and clothing. And Jesus is saying to us, we need to look at the people in our world who have physical needs and do something about it. That's our responsibility. We see people with emotional needs. There are people in this list who need empathy, who need mercy and grace, who need kindness. And there's a lot of people in our world who maybe food and water isn't their biggest need. Maybe it's just that somebody cares, that somebody puts an arm around their shoulder, that somebody walks with them through a, a certain season of life, that someone offers them grace and kindness. We also see relational needs. People who need friendship, people who need presence of somebody else there with them, attention, affirmation. This is what Jesus did, and this is what his followers are supposed to do. So the question really becomes, how do we do this? Well, we do this by taking it to the streets. So I love about the, the ministry of Christ. Earth. Look at, there are a few miracles that Jesus performed in the synagogue. Just a few. We have a few records of what Jesus actually taught in the synagogue, but just a few. But most of what we read in the Gospels, where did it take place? In the streets. You know, like a woman touches him as he walks to somebody else's house. Or, or we sit down in the countryside and, and we're, we're fed. Or we get in a boat and we row across like, or sail across the lake to, to, to heal a person. Jesus was about taking ministry. Jesus is about carrying people in the streets, literally. And that's the challenge to us, is how do we take this to the streets? I think there's a real danger and a, and a real caution for us as the church to, to see our role in the community as here we are, we're a light in the community, and, and we'd like to help you. Just come here. Come here and we'll help you. Come on in. We'll help you. Take a seat. But that's really not the pattern. The pattern is for us to, to get up from our seats and to go out these doors today into the streets and to say, oh, who's the hungry here? Or, or who's the thirsty? Or who's the sick? Or who's the homeless? Or who's the one who, who needs clothes? We are to take it to the street. Physical care, emotional care, relational care. So how do we do that? First of all, we must learn how to see. Look at verse number 37. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
Verse number 38, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Verse number 38, when did we see you sick? That's the whole thing. We have to see people as needy. If we're honest this morning and said, okay, who in here has a need? Every hand would go up. And yet we live among people with needs and we forget that for whatever reason. But we need to see people as needy. We need to see people as Jesus sees people. And it's not that we're really unsympathetic. I don't think we look at most people and say, oh, you know, sure, problem, deal with it, buddy. It's just that we kind of walk by it, and it doesn't really affect us. And and we're kind of tuned out to it. So we need to see people as Jesus. Secondly, we need to respond with action. Jesus said, hey, it's not enough to see. You need to do that. In fact, we'll... We'll look at that verse in just a second where he said that we need to take action here. So the question is, what are you doing to make a difference in our world for people who have needs? All the way from the hungry to the homeless to the sick to the forgotten to the marginalized to the person that works next to you to the person that lives next to you to the person who might be in your family. What are you doing tangibly and physically to meet needs? You know, there's, there's a, a statement that we, we have heard more recently in our world, but I think it's so true. To not be part of the solution is to actually extend the problem. And sometimes we're like, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not causing anybody you know, poverty or I'm not causing anybody homelessness or whatever like that. But if I'm not doing anything to change that picture, I'm just allowing it. I'm not really helping. Jesus is calling us to respond with some type of action. The third thing here is we need to be out on the streets. This is what Jesus did. Think about that. He went to a well in Samaria. He, he, he went across a lake to see a, a demonic in Gadara. He went to see a woman up in Syrophoenicia, which was way north of where most of what he did. When there was a widow at Nain, Jesus went to Nain and met her on the way out of the city. He went to see where Peter and John fished. It wasn't like they were all sitting in church one day. And he said, hey, you over there sitting in that pew, come, come follow me. He was out there on the streets. And if we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do, we need to get out there and be on the streets. So let's ask God to help us see need and help us to see opportunity. We have worked as a church to try to identify ways that we can actually be on the streets. What we do with Pontiac, partnership with, with New Springfield Church once a month, we go out and we do what? We feed those who need food. Exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And we try to create opportunities for you to do that with Connect the Nations. We go to people who come to this country and who are lonely and trying to fit in. And what we say is, hey, we'll we'll connect you with these people and you can actually do this for Jesus. InterVarsity. Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus goes to class, that Jesus walks through the halls of, of our college campuses, that Jesus sometimes sits in class and knows absolutely no one else? But we have those opportunities. We're doing stuff with, with grace in schools. Do you think about this too? That there are 
kids every morning that get dropped off there, you don't have any idea what's going on at home, but if somebody sit and read with them, that would be like Jesus reading to them, but it would be like reading to Jesus at the same time. And those are just some things that we're doing here. You don't have to do any of those things. There are other things that you can plug into, but I do believe this, that this needs to be part of what we want to make our lives about, is caring about people who have needs. I love what Mark and Sue are doing. I mean, they are living out this passage. To, to say, okay, there are kids in our country who don't have homes and don't have parents who've been shuffled through our foster care system. And you know what? We're going to give them another chance. And they can come live with us. Okay, that's what we're talking about, taking it to the streets. Let's look at these verses, number, verse number 37 again. The, Lord, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, see you thirsty, give you something to drink, a stranger invite you in, unclothed, clothe you? When do we see you sick and present, go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these. Then you get down to verse number 45, and he replies to those who failed. He said, it's what you didn't do. And so the challenge is uh, to us is what do we do about this? It's not hard to agree with what Jesus said here. What's hard is to get out of where we're comfortable and to move to meet needs. And if you're sitting here saying, man, I don't even know how to do that, that's fine. Could you start with saying, God, okay, this is what I want to be about. Help me to see, help me to have opportunity and to know what I should be doing here. There's a hunger problem in our world. It's not just physical. It's emotional. It's relational. It's also spiritual, too. And everyone needs to eat. And so the question is, for us, how do we take what we have been given? Physically, the resources we have, but also spiritually, the resources we have. And how do we move out of here and into our world and onto the streets? Because everyone's supposed to eat. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for identifying with us and our needs. And there's probably some that sit in our room here this morning, Jesus, that you know the needs that they have. And maybe the first need is to have a relationship with you. I pray that they would hear your voice inviting them into that relationship. And you're there, sitting out there this morning, and you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, he loves you this much. That he came and he died for my sin, for your sin, so that you could have eternal life, so that you could know him as a brother and sister. You just need to trust Christ and invite him into your story, into your, story, into your life. Those of us who are sheep, followers of Christ, this is the expected, that we are need meters. That we look for needs in our world, and hopefully that we can do these good deeds so that we can say some good words, so that we can share what it means to be part of God's family. Will you at least pray this prayer this morning? Jesus, open my eyes to see the needs around me. And then give me courage to do something about it. 
God, may we make those commitments to you this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.